This week on Geeksplain, we're going batty with Dracula himself and a Netflix show that actually doesn't suck. Blood. Because, you know, we're talking about Castlevania. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Zana, and today's episode is a little bit different. Um, we're going to be uh, talking about today the Castlevania Netflix series. It was an animated series that was released uh, midway through the summer last year. And uh, this episode is was actually requested by one of our listeners, a good friend of the podcast, Andrew Kincaid. Uh, he requested this, told me to take a look at the series, and I enjoyed the Castlevania games back when I used to play them, so I figured I'd give it a shot, and the show actually ended up being pretty good. Uh, it's an interesting dichotomy when you transfer the idea of a video game and adapt it to another format, because... I mean, so often we see video game adaptations, whether they be in films or TV shows, and they don't quite live up to the, I guess, the expectations that we have as fans of the genre. And I am happy to say that though it does take some liberties with the narrative, the Castlevania Netflix series does a great job of adapting the original story. So... We're going to get a little bit into the background of the uh, show itself, then I'll go into my review, and then uh, stick around at the end for a new segment that I'm going to be kind of uh, starting with this episode and moving forward with each week. So uh, Castlevania is an animated series on Netflix, obviously, and it is based on the hit video game series by Konami. Specifically, this show is based on Castlevania III, Dracula's Curse, and it's more or less a retelling of that story. Uh, it doesn't go beat for beat because, of course, back then, uh, games weren't as heavy on the narrative as they are now. Uh, you look at something like a Castlevania 3 or like a Mega Man, um, they don't quite hit the same narrative beats as like a Last of Us or a Final Fantasy 15, like those kind of games that are very heavy on story and lore. But as the Castlevania series be continued to grow, they developed their own lore, their own characters, storylines, and Castlevania is one of the most beloved uh, shows of all time, or games of all time, rather, and uh, it's just, it's really cool to see Castlevania kind of making a comeback, because for a while, Castlevania kind of faded into the background, and recently we've been seeing a major uptick when it comes to Castlevania. Uh, they just announced for Smash Brothers, the Smash Brothers Ultimate that's coming to uh, the Switch later on this year, that it's going to be featuring Castlevania characters which was really cool. It was really exciting for me as a uh, longtime video game fan. But uh, what's interesting about this show is that it took a little while to get it off the ground. And by a little while, I mean 10 years. 
So uh, we'll get into the background a little bit of the troubled production of this show. So originally this started out as an animated film adaptation for the same Castlevania 3 Dracula's Curse game. And uh, originally it was trying to be uh, put on by Frederator Studios and kind of was intended as a direct-to-video production. They didn't think about it being a uh, theatrical release. They really wanted to just get it out. And uh, they brought Warren Ellis onto the project. Now, if you don't know, Warren Ellis is a really, really good comic writer. He was the creator of Red, uh, Transmetropolitan. He created Gun Machine. Uh, for the uh, big two, he wrote on Astonishing X-Men, Thunderbolts, Iron Man. And he was my, uh, probably my favorite Moon Knight writer. He wrote a six-issue arc for Moon Knight that really put him back into... Uh, the mainstream view when it comes to uh, Marvel characters, when it comes to the comics. Uh, he also wrote for uh, Vertigo. He wrote a run of comics on Hellblazer, uh, John Constantine, and has also lended his talents uh, writing video games, including the super popular Dead Space back in uh, 2008. But they brought him on to flesh out and write the script for this animated film and Warren Ellis really after examining all the source material and wanting to do the game justice decided that he wanted to break up his script into a trilogy three different acts that could stand on their own as well as being part of his planned trilogy now in 2008 production stalled and it went essentially into development hell and didn't see the light of day for a while. Uh, Adi Shankar, who was uh, the director of the super popular Dread revival uh, a few years ago with uh, Carl Urban, uh, he was approached to direct a live-action adaptation of Ellis's script and around uh, like 2012. And unfortunately, he declined after reading the script and not feeling that it did the source material justice. He publicly publicly said that uh, as a fan and as a respect for fandom, he didn't like the uh, the way that the script handled the story, and as a fan, he couldn't uh, be part of making something that would be, in his words, disrespecting the fandom. So we didn't really hear anything about this for a while. Uh, until around 2017 when it was picked up by Netflix, and Netflix reportedly really loved Ellis's script, he really enjoyed the ideas behind it, and he, they basically said, we want you to alter a couple things, a couple minor things in the script, but overall, we like your vision for it, let's make it happen. So, it turned from an animated film into a animated series, with uh, the first season... Uh, dropping on July of 2017 and the first season is comprising of four episodes and it covers the first part of War Warren Ellis's trilogy. Now uh, the second season with how crazy good the first season was was announced for uh, October 26 2018 so that's just a couple months away and the second season is going to double the first season's episode count so it's going to have eight episodes overall and is 
narratively supposed to complete the trilogy that Ellis had originally uh, created. But he has said, along with Shankar, who was brought back on to direct the animated episodes, that there's a lot of narrative potential and that they could be looking past the second season to adapting other games in the series. So, again, not the cleanest <laughs> uh, background for the show, starting out as an animated film, production stalling, all of that. But after 10 years, it finally made its way into Netflix, and it's surprising how good this show actually is. So I've got my notes here. I'm going to try and go through them as uh, efficiently as possible, but I figured I'd give you a brief synopsis for the uh, show itself, since I guess synopses are kind of my thing when I'm reviewing something. So, <clears throat> When his wife is burned at the stake for being falsely accused of witchcraft, the vampire count Vlad Dracula Tepesh declares all the people of Wallachia will pay with their lives. He summons an army of monsters and demons which overrun the country, causing the people to live lives of fear and distrust. To combat this, the disgraced monster hunter Trevor Belmont takes up arms against Dracula's forces aided by the magician Saifa Belnades and Dracula's son, Alucard. So, I know that... Um, some people are very familiar with this story uh even though i don't think uh castlevania 3 is the most popular in the series um there's a lot that goes into this game especially with how old it is um when you start to get to that level of like a metroid or a castlevania in that area uh people really are going to have high expectations for this and i think this whole series hinges upon the success of dracula as a character and uh, dracula is really well done here uh, the opening is not where i thought it would start uh, the opening for the first episode uh, details dracula meeting his soon-to-be wife lisa and it's it's an interesting way to start. I wasn't sure when I first uh, started up the episode what game that this series was going to be adapting. I didn't do any research. I went in cold. And um, the opening kind of sets you up to think that, okay, so this is going to be an entire series talking about how Dracula falls from grace and whatever happens to him and lisa going through those hardships but i mean you heard it in the synopsis like lisa gets killed off really quickly <laughs> in the first episode i don't think that's a spoiler because like it's i mean it's the whole uh through line for the story to get started and it happens within the first 10 minutes of the show so um but Overall, what I think they really needed to do was make Dracula an interesting character. And that comes down to not just him being incredibly intimidating and show that he can use his powers as essentially the Lord of the Dead in this series to wreak havoc upon an entire land. And they absolutely show that. His power is scary and the brutality that he displays through 
really the entire show through not only his actions but the actions of his minions is incredible and it is super brutal um and he, he the entire first episode is really set around to show that he is a tragic villain that he did have this chance at a happy ending for himself and through means that were completely out of his control he was set upon a path that there is no coming back from which really sells for me him not only as a villain but also as a character that you can get behind if you really look at his perspective and his point of view yeah he you know he kind of overreacts when it comes to the uh the innocent people that get caught in the crossfire but he really is blinded by this idea that these people took the one thing in the world that he cared about and now he is going to make them all suffer because none of them are innocent from this crime and that just almost i i don't know if it's fair to make this comparison but that almost thanos like uh drive that he pushes aside all other forms of logic he has a job to do and that is to get revenge on anyone and everyone um makes him a really compelling character and i'm interested to see him interact with our protagonist Segway, which is trevor belmont and trevor belmont is very different from his uh his video game counterpart uh in the game he was specifically called upon by the church to uh, rid the land of Dracula's armies and to defeat Dracula and purge him from you know the earth but in this story it's much different uh, they do talk about uh, the Belmont family and the fact that uh, they used to be a monster monster hunting clan and they were basically driven out exiled and banished by the church and they really have not been heard from in a very long time and trevor belmont is not the um you know stunning long-haired uh heroic figure that he is in the video game here he's very much the uh the unreliable protagonist he is very much the guy who you would not pick first to save your country and he kind of falls into this plot into this uh quest i guess to uh combat dracula and his armies he is a disgraced monster hunter who spends most of his time trying to just get drunk um there are multiple times where he exits a scene basically saying all right well you guys figure out what you're figuring out i'm gonna go get a drink and it makes it makes a good contrast for what we're used to and the expectations that we have for trevor as a protagonist and subverting those expectations i think really puts you as a viewer especially if you are familiar with castlevania as a series on the edge of your seat because you don't know if this trevor can do the things that the game trevor did and it's it makes for a lot of uh tense moments for sure uh one thing that i really like about uh trevor and kind of his relation to dracula in that they are on a collision course later on down the line is this narrative symmetry that they seem to have because they both um were basically uh 
deprived of the thing that they cared about most in the world, that being for Dracula, his wife, for Trevor, the honor of his family. And both of them react in very different ways. Dracula, of course, decides that he is going to take revenge on everything. And Trevor decides that he will care about nothing ever again, which makes his turn into becoming less of a passive protagonist and more of an active protagonist really nice and a really good moment for him later on in the season. And um, one thing that I I need to stress, I need to stress right here from the get-go before we go any further, is that this, uh, this show is for mature audiences. If you were listening to this and you were thinking, oh, it's a uh, it's an adaptation that I can watch, you know, with a younger sibling or a child or someone who is, you know, I would say under 15, do not show them this. This is a mature rating. This is a mature show. Uh, there is brutal violence uh, just all over the place. Lots of uh, lots of gore. Lots of just dreadful and absolutely just i know i said it already but just brutal brutal imagery um they also have really kind of raunchy imagery as well there's pre- there's plenty of uh swearing but i i want to say it's like the end of episode two or at the end of episode one at the beginning of episode two has a story about a goat and with um you know the uh the sort of uh, medieval setting and things with goats you can probably guess what the story is about but it's just it's something that really feels out of place in the grander scale of things but also serves as kind of a uh, an interesting introduction to trevor but uh so look out for that and you'll know what i mean once you watch it but uh definitely wait on showing this to any children because this is a very mature show um going back into uh other things in the narrative that really piqued my interest was uh the i guess the um the overall adaptation of the idea of the church uh, um in stories like this when you look at uh things that involve demons or monster hunting uh the church is one of two things the church is either like oh we are the last bastion of hope for the land and we are going to send our champion to rid the land of darkness or we're the church we are pious we are hateful we in some way caused all of the terrible things that are happening but we are going to continue to be this governing body that oppresses people in their time of need and castlevania treats the church in the latter of the two um the bishop who is a recurring character throughout the uh the season is a complete psychopath he is a complete megalomaniac who just ah he's he's an awful he's an awful character um the uh the voice actor who plays him matt frewer uh does a wonderful job of making him the most unlikable character in the entire show and he's he is the guy who basically decides you know we're gonna burn uh lisa tepesh for witchcraft even though she is just a scientist who is learning sciencey things 
and he's essentially the reason that this all happens um but it's not just him that like ends up being you know an antagonistic force in the series uh the i guess the archbishop who is kind of the ruler of the church and the land uh decides in his infinite wisdom that one year after the burning of lisa where dracula basically says you guys have one year and then i am going to rain down fire and blood and fury on you decides hey we should throw a celebration to um to basically glorify the fact that we burned this witch and it's just like what are you what are you doing what are you thinking um and it's you know it is a a textbook definition of you know letting your pride dictate your actions and pride always comes before the fall so the church is not painted in the best light uh in the i guess the main locale for the season uh which is the um the walled town of grizzit the church has like a stranglehold on the community uh they have the bishop who is that psycho that i was telling you about earlier uh he has these i'm gonna call them minions they're probably you know there's probably a better way to call it like disciples or some like clergymen or something like really eloquent to call them but they're minions and that's all they are and he basically has them shake down people um has them brandishing knives and threatening people it's like it's it's really not good but um to balance out all the negativity that the church brings out, uh, episode two introduces us to the Speakers, which are essentially a nomadic tribe that take all of the history of the lands, learn it, and keep it in their memories, and they tell these stories of the history, so they're basically verbal historians. And part of this, uh, part of these Speakers the the role for these speakers is really to be the oh we're the we're the good guy group that's being oppressed by the church and we really need your help and of course trevor belmont who doesn't believe in anything at this point is not just he's just not into it and he's basically like if you guys don't want to die you need to leave that's all that needs to happen but um he is set upon a quest by the speakers to rescue the leader of the speakers uh, his granddaughter, one Saifa Belnades. And if you played the original uh, Castlevania Three game, Saifa was one of, if not the best companion in that game. So uh, this is a big deal. And it does uh, have a really nice homage to how you uh, acquire her as a companion from the game in that, you know, the Cyclops shows up. Uh, so it's it's a really good callback to that original game and i really enjoyed the uh the easter egg for that but um another companion that makes his debut much later we're talking like end of the season uh is alucard uh he does make a brief appearance uh near the beginning of the first episode uh he is super cool he is very like clinical almost spock like and he is very 
cool, calm, and collected. Uh, Trevor Belmont at one point calls him floating vampire Jesus, which is kind of, I guess, if you really strip away all of the, uh, I guess, all of the narrative fluff, that's really what he is. Um, they talk about uh, the speakers have this prophecy that uh, the below Gresit is the person who is going to save the land from Dracula. And Alucard is that man. But there's also a prophecy that uh, Alucard will be found by a magician and a uh, and a monster hunter. So you can start to see that narratively we're getting a lot of like prophecy and like um, mysticism when it comes to this. But I really like how that kind of uh, kind of mystical hoopla is balanced out by the real just uh down-to-earth negativity i guess of trevor belmont uh he makes a really good really good protagonist to balance out all of the uh, weird stuff that goes on and that comes a lot to his voice actor which i and it was funny because i was talking to uh to andrew about this that i had started watching it and he told me just listen for trevor belmont's voice actor and i want you to tell me if you figure out who it is and it took me a few scenes but it's richard armitage and if that name sounds familiar to you richard armitage really made his stamp in hollywood by playing thorin who was the uh the heir to the throne of the dwarves in the hobbit trilogy he arguably for me at least stole the show in that trilogy he was fantastic he's awesome he's had appearances in uh the first captain america movie he's his voice acting is really really on point here uh he even for me i've been uh starting to get into another podcast that you should check out called uh wolverine long night uh it's essentially like a narrative podcast that is what i would say is our uh, our generation's version of audio dramas and radio dramas in that it's in a podcast format where you can find it on any podcast uh any podcast platform i think starting in september but if you have a premium stitcher account uh you can go on there and start listening to it and he is a wonderful wolverine and he is a wonderful trevor belmont and they are very different characters so this works out really well uh he's he's fantastic he really brings a grounded level of realism to trevor's character which i think is you know sometimes overlooked when it comes to these fantasy style stories um but he wasn't the only good uh voice actor in this i think uh graham mctavish who plays dracula is also phenomenal as dracula uh graham mctavish was also in the hobbit as one of the dwarves which was kind of a a cool little narrative that they're coming back together for this to uh essentially try and kill each other but uh graham mctavish has also appeared in films like the 2008 rambo he was in creed uh his tv credits include rome he's done voiceover stuff for wolverine and the x-men he was in preacher um ducktales all over the place like this guy has a very unique quality to his voice that he brings with him into uh playing dracula and i'm really interested to see 
uh, Dracula and Trevor go head-to-head in the next season. But overall, uh, my verdict is check it out. It's wonderful. It's ridiculously well animated. Um, It takes a lot of, uh, I would say, anime inspirations, but still brings it to an American flavor when it comes to animation. You'll know what I'm talking about when you watch it. But um, it's it was just it was a treat to watch. The performances are wonderful. Uh, The narrative liberties, like I said, are obvious, (laughs) Um, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see where the story goes forward following uh, this series. Um, And overall, it's not a huge time sink. It's only four episodes. Uh, The episodes are between 23 to 25 minutes, which comes out to right around like an hour and a half altogether. So it's, it's really really worth your time i set aside like two hours to uh to watch it to take notes and i didn't regret it at all it was a great show i absolutely recommend it you can find it on netflix and uh, you need to get caught up soon because the second season drops like i said october i want to say 28th um and it's it's gonna be worth your time to watch it so um Again, I want to say thank you to Andrew for suggesting the episode. If you would like to uh, suggest episodes for the future or to uh, give me any feedback or anything like that, uh, you can tweet at me. Please uh, feel free to tweet at me and give me a follow at uh at Geeksplained Pod, that's at Geeksplained P O D. Uh, you can also send me emails because I'm an old man and I still read emails. Uh, you can send any emails at all to geeksplained at gmail.com. But um, we're going to shift gears here for a little bit. Uh, I, again, really love the show. Go see it. But I wanted to try out something for this week that I'm going to try and do going forward, and that is uh, This Week in Comics. Uh, this is going to be a segment I'm going to try to uh, plug in at the end of every podcast, basically telling you uh, what comics to pick up. Because overall, I'm I'm a comic book fan. I have been for a very long time. Uh, you can, if you know anything about me, uh, you know that I am a huge, huge comic book nerd. And uh, I've done multiple episodes focused on not only comic book characters but also comic books that you should check out and i thought this would be a cool segment to not only uh let you know what i'm reading and let you know uh what i'm checking out but also if you were on the fence about looking at a book or if you haven't you know gone to a comic shop in a while or checked out uh comiXology or any of the many uh comic book reading apps uh, it'll give you something new to check out because there's a lot of good comics going on right now. There's almost too much good comics going on right now. So uh, in Geeksplained tradition, I've been doing a top five lists. So I figured uh, this week in comics will be a top five books that I'm looking forward to picking up this week and that I think you should check out as well. So these are my top five in no particular order comics that you should pick up this week uh, and we're going to start off with action comics uh number 1002 uh don't let the numbering intimidate you uh this current run of action comics started off with action comics 1001 so you can pick it up and 
pretty much be caught up with what you uh, what you should know. Uh, this is by Brian Michael Bendis and Patrick Gleason, and I was really um, not super high on Brian Michael Bendis taking over the Superman, uh, I guess, corner of the DC universe, just because I've been really enjoying what uh, Dan Jerkins and Peter Tomasi have been bringing to uh, Superman's story, but Action Comics I actually really liked. Uh, Action Comics 1001, I think, is a really intriguing story, so um, i say pick it up if nothing else than for the amazing Patrick Gleason art. Uh, <laughs> it's really, it's worth your time, and of the two between Action Comics and uh, the Mainline Superman book, I've been leaning more towards the Action Comics book with what I've been liking, what I've been seeing so far. So uh, definitely pick that up. But another book that you should uh, grab is Avengers number 6 by Jason Aaron with art by Ed McGuinness. Uh, Avengers has been interesting so far. I am still not completely sold on uh, Ed McGuinness's art in the book. Uh, he's totally fine as an artist, but for me, I I think his his I don't know his his art style is very blocky to me. So I would like to see more I guess um, contrast when it comes to body types. But uh, the story's been really interesting, diving super deep into uh, Marvel Comics lore, uh, which is always interesting and I really enjoy. But um, that's definitely one to uh, pick up. I think this one is wrapping up the current arc when it comes to the final host, the initial arc for the new Avengers book. So definitely pick it up, if nothing else, than to uh, complete this arc to get you ready for the next arc going forward. Uh, number three is actually another Avengers book, but it's a little on the smaller scale side. So uh, this is West Coast Avengers number one by Kelly Thompson with art by Stefano Caselli. And if you've been looking for a book that you can get into on Marvel on the ground level that doesn't have a ton of hype behind it but could be something really special, this is it. Uh, West Coast Avengers has a very long and prolific history in Marvel Comics, uh, mostly having to do with Clint Barton Hawkeye, and he is front and center on this team. Uh, this team actually has two Hawkeyes. It has uh, Clint Barton as well as the newer Hawkeye, Kate Bishop. The two of them are magic together, and I'm glad to see them on this book. Uh, it's also introducing a character named Fuse, which I am not familiar with and have never really heard of before, but... I'm definitely going to be picking it up to find out who this guy is. Uh, and it's also featuring three pretty big heavy hitters, both in terms of power set as well as uh, cult following. And that being America Chavez, Gwenpool, and Kid Omega, Quentin Quire. Uh, it is the most thrown together, like, random haberdashery team that I have ever seen. And I'm excited to see where they go. Uh, it looks like it's going to be mainly set in L.A. and... As someone who is currently living in L.A., I'm interested to see what kind of flavor that it brings to this book. Uh, but yeah, definitely check that out. Number one comes out this Wednesday, so if you want to start with a book that's has a lot of really good narrative potential, that's a great place to start. Uh, number four is Justice League Dark Number 2 by uh, James Tynan IV with art by Raul Fernandez and... 
Alvaro Martinez. I uh, couldn't read my notes for a second. <laughs> um, but this is the team that was behind most of my favorite Detective Comics run recently. Uh, if you listened to last week's episode, uh, I talked about the top five rebirth arcs that I've really enjoyed and uh, their run on Detective Comics, namely the Lonely Place of Living arc that they did, was phenomenal. And it was on that list. And they are really staking their claim with this book as well. Uh, this is a different kind of Justice League dark than uh, I'm sure most people are used to seeing or reading. But it's a group that, again, I think has really, really good narrative potential. Uh, just listen to the names of the people on this roster. Uh, you've got Detective Chimp, John Constantine, Man Bat, Swamp Thing, Zatanna, and their leader, Wonder Woman. So it's really just, again, it's an oddball kind of collection of characters. But if you are a fan of when it comes to uh, like mysticism or magic, if you're a fan of uh, the Doctor Strange movies or, or movie, I guess, uh, this is really something I think you should pick up because this is going to be diving into the uh, darker corners of the DC universe. Uh, I have complete faith in James Tynan IV to tell an amazing long-term story with characters that not everyone is completely familiar with and it's only issue number two so you can go back pick up issue number one and have yourself already caught up and finally uh on this list is venom number five by donny cates with art by ryan stegman and venom has been interesting so far uh we know that the movie is coming out i think in october uh, and Marvel decided to put as much effort into the actual Venom book as they could uh, leading up to that, bringing on Donny Cates, who has been a rock star for them the last couple of years, along with Ryan Stegman, whose art is just, it pairs so well with Donny Cates' writing. And Ryan Stegman, who is a phenomenal artist, is really giving depth and I think an added layer of mystery to Venom's entire mythos. So this book has really been tackling the backstory of the symbiote. Uh, it's introduced the idea that symbiotes have been around a lot longer than we previously thought. Uh, we're talking like back in Vietnam era. Uh, we're also talking about possibly even further back be before humanity got here so uh this book has been really good and a really great character piece not just on venom as a whole but also on eddie brock and his clintar venom symbiote if you don't know what the clintar are read the book and find out it's really interesting i really think that they are going they're writing a seminal run for venom as a character so uh those are my five uh to recap Action Comics, number 1002, Avengers, number 6, West Coast Avengers, number 1, Justice League Dark, number 2, and Venom, number 5. Definitely check those out. They're amazing. And yeah, so I hope this is a good start to our This Week's, or This Week in Comics. Um, already, it's a great start because I'm already messing up the title. Uh, to our This Week in Comics segment. I'm looking forward to doing it every week going forward. And uh, yeah, so that's it for me. Uh, I already plugged the Twitter and the uh, email. So um, 
just so everyone knows, we're all over the place now. We've recently uh, jumped onto Stitcher, onto TuneIn, onto Google Play, and onto iTunes. So you can check us out on any of those platforms. If you are listening to this on any of those platforms, hello. Thank you for joining us. Uh, for all of our SoundCloud OGs that have been listening since the beginning, thank you. Hello. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing more episodes for all of you. So again, if you have any ideas for future episodes, if you have any ideas for uh, topics that I should talk about or comics, you know, now that we have this new segment, uh, if I missed any comics that you think I should be really reading, let me know. Feel free to let me know. I'm always uh, looking for new comics to read. So that will about do it for this week. Uh, we are coming up on the end of the month, which means our next episode in the Kingdom Hearts series on Kingdom Hearts 2 is going to be not next week, but the week after. I've been getting a lot of amazing feedback from the uh, Chain of Memories episode, and I'm really looking forward to the uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 episode. That's probably might be my favorite game in the series. Uh, listen to the entire series to find out. Oh, what is that? That's weird. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the pleasures of living in an apartment building. You hear weird sounds all the time. But uh, yeah, so that'll do it for me. Uh, make sure to tune in next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, for Geeksplain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye.